Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bercher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, and this is episode 94, Homeostasis. As usual, this is something that's been on my mind lately as I think about sort of what we're doing in the world and um, the issues that are happening around us and, and, and this overlap between social psychology and my background, which is in ecology or ecosystem science. So it's like how animals work at a, on a, on a non-human level, on a non-brain analytical level. Um, that's my background. Um, coupled with sort of what's happening in the world, right? I mean, it's is it is it a you know echo socio psycho philosophy? <laughs> you know, it's like there, these things have so much in common. It's like I've always said. After I got my PhD in ecology, I feel like I got a PhD in economics. And if you think about it, they're the same thing, right? Eco means home, the study of your home, the planet, or the study of your home. Your personal finances, right? Economics. It's interesting. And so there's, and, and now you see these things today where it's like, well, I'm, I'm a social climate scientist. I actually heard this today, which is it's super cool. Don't get me wrong. But you don't go to school and get a degree in that. <laughs> you know, you have uh, 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 some sociological skills sets, maybe anthropology, whatever, and then you have some ecology skills. You understand? The point is this this idea of ecology keeps coming up in my, I don't know what you call it, personal growth, path to enlightenment, uh, mind expanding, whatever you want to call that stuff that we do here at KEW. You know what I'm talking about or you wouldn't be here. The ecological layer fits on there. And, and again, homeostasis. So what is homeostasis? You know, what's the, what's the definition? It's one of those things. We think we kind of know what it means and we kind of get the gist of it. But what do, what do we say about it? Well, it's a tendency toward relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements. This definition is whack. Uh, I like it, but it's how vague can you be? A tendency toward relatively stable. Okay, a tendency. It doesn't always happen. It's a direction. It's a push. I actually really like that. It's a, it's a flavor. It's a word I've been using lately that, that describes a, a direction, an urge, right? Um, um, a potential uh, to do this thing. Uh, which is to achieve equilibrium. And it's a relatively stable equilibrium, so it's not like you're spending most of your time in the tendency trying to get there. You spend most of your time there, and then when you fall out of it, you kind of adjust back. So it, it, it definitely paints a picture of sort of the, um, the general pattern with a little bit of wiggle in it, right? So you might have an increasing trend of something going up, but you've got some wiggle room, um, as opposed to something like an exponential increase, uh, in a short period of time, between interdependent elements. Hello, ecosystem. I mean, to me, this screams system. So this is the, the whole concept of homeostasis is coming from a systems point of view. And what's that? It's a series of interconnected parts that are all working together toward a common goal. That's the human body. That's all the levels of organization, right? It's atoms, it's molecules, um, it's, it's, um, or, or, uh, tissue, uh, cells, it's, uh, tissues, it's organs, it's organ systems, it's, it's individuals, it's populations, it's communities, it's ecosystems, it's the universe, right? It's, it's this, this, these are all systems, uh, interdependent elements within each one that are relative to whatever the scope is. And it doesn't really matter. They all are just as important all the time. But if you sort of go, Hmm, wonder what that bears about, then you're sort of looking at, 
It's general environment, like a couple of levels of organization bigger than it, you know, maybe the population of bears that it lives in, uh, or, or the community of organisms that lives in that particular area of the world, and a couple of levels of organization smaller than that, than the individual bear. Maybe their reproductive system is of interest to you, or its general health of, the, of its cardiovascular system, uh, or, or what kinds of tissues and specialized structures does it have to help you explain how it makes its living. And that's kind of how I see things. And that's scope. Again, I don't want to go through all the different ecological elements, but they're kind of relevant to this idea of homeostasis. So if you're talking about homeostasis in a human being, again, you're talking about an individual, you're looking at a couple levels above or below. If you're talking about homeostasis of the universe, you know, we're not probably interested in what's, what, what organs are doing or what communities of geese are doing. Um, you know, some of these things going to wash away depending on what you're looking at. If you're talking about cells, maybe you're not really interested in the individual within which those cells are, but you're really kind of looking at the interactions with its neighbors, its other cells, and the energy that passes back and forth. Okay, so the tendency toward relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements. Okay, the, I, I hate when you've got to define... A definition, and but but equilibrium is a is an interesting word here, and it's critical to understanding what homeostasis is, and that is simply a state in which opposing forces or influences are balanced. And so now, if you look a little closer into what equilibrium is, along that kind of wavering around uh, a general, um, uh, regular, relatively stable condition, we've got. Forces on either side of that, or sort of, or, or oppositional, right? You don't just push it this way and it kind of just the whole thing moves. You're constantly going to have oppositional forces, which are what keep it in balance. And that's really where we're going, right? Okay, a couple of things come out of this for me. In any system, and what, what made me interesting, interested in this concept today is, is sort of the, the psychological meaning of life, metaphysical nature of humans system. It's us in our minds, so kind of this individual. <clears throat> it's the universe. It's all of the people that we interact with. And it's also about our particular neuroses and living peaceful, more calm, happier, less suffering lives, right? Making it through, uh, having the best experience we can while we're here on Earth. That's the, 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 the point of reference and the scope. Uh, okay, so the condition is something like peace or, or, or maybe it's mental illness or maybe it's a happy relationship or it's a good job or whatever it is. That's sort of the, the line that we're wavering between. And the oppositional forces are going to be things like the R versus should problem. You need to do this because it's going to make you more money. Yeah, but your heart really wants to do this. Uh, you can you date, date this woman because you like having sex with her, but you don't really care about her. You know, these oppositional forces keep us in line. And that's sort of what I've been thinking about is how that works. Um, let's take money, for example, you know, uh, things are going to, we're going to spend money on things and we're going to earn money on things. And we hope to try to keep that balanced. Um, our health, right? Well, and this gets a little bit closer at kind of the, the intent of the meaning of homeostasis is specifically referencing like a, uh, a body, an organism and the balance that's required to sort of keep a body alive. So it's these oppositional forces uh, that we're interested in and how they influence how we make our way on the planet. But, 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 but more than any of the specific stuff, I sort of got on a tangent there. I want to talk about the general condition of what, how homeostasis works on planet earth with respect to humans. And we have to consider this in a, in a 200 to 250,000 
year framework, not in a 10-year framework. <laughs> Another fundamental element of ecology is these, these um, guideposts of time and space, right? Relative to a human being, 250,000 years doesn't really mean anything. Relative to a human species and a population and a community, it has a little bit more meaning because now we're talking about evolutionary time. But 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 we don't have the capacity to really make sense out of that. But it's important because something like this, when we when we talk about and and, and anthropolo- anthropologists and sociologists, evolutionary biologists, philosophers and psychologists talk about this all the time in the context of our evolution. Right? We we what we see today. I say this all the time, but maybe I don't say it enough. The way we see, the the way someone sees us today, like an alien coming down to the planet, we reflect all of the ecological interactions that our species has had for 200, 250,000 years. The selection pressures of our environment and our communities, other individuals of our species, the abiotic and biotic factors that we were exposed to during all of that time, we meaning the collective individuals of humans that have ever been result in what you see now. So you can make an assumption that the characteristics that we have today or in recent times reflect that being a, a, a positive or a fit condition in the past that was selected for, which is why it exists. You don't see all the things we're not because the environment didn't like them. Those individuals didn't succeed in reproduction and those traits we're sort of washed out of the of, of human experience. And it would be awesome to have a history of that, but we don't. <laughs> so we can kind of make the assumption that there's a pretty good chance that if we see a characteristic or observe something about what we do, how we are, what we're comprised of, it reflects this positive influence of that particular characteristic or trait through time. And that's why it's still here. Now, we may not, again, we, so it's interesting to tease apart our perception of the recent of of our time which is something like 50 to a couple hundred years maybe you push it out to maybe 500 years and you can start to kind of think about things that happened in history once you get past 2000 years there isn't anything and it's all kind of just guessing um but really we have probably 10 to 12,000 years that we know of where we've been kind of like not living in caves <laughs> so big chunks of time within which we don't really have any resolution, uh, except for tiny little hints like fossils or um, cave paintings or something like that, which is crazy, right? But we have to think about it. So when I think about homeostasis, I think about the things that we've changed in the last 50 to 100, 200 years. These are things like the climate, our economies, and our societies, right? The, the hot topics, it's easier to talk about the hot topics. Climate change, um, you know, sort of toxic capitalism, <laughs> if you will, and then things like gender bias and racism and sexism and uh, 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 I guess maybe those are the same thing, but you know what I mean, like um, political justice issues. These things are changing, and we're changing faster than they're changing, and so we kind of look back at 500, 200 years and go, why did we do that? We need to do something different. One of the big things that I see and I think it applies to social justice issues, but I'm a little more well-versed in the, in the climate issues, certainly, and in the, and in, in the economics issues. Technology or human capacity to manipulate our environment and indirectly or, or directly ourselves, things like healthcare, 
Our lifespans are longer. There's more of us on the planet. Our mortality rate and the, our lifespans are both increased artificially, right, with technology. Now, one can argue that is, this na- is that a natural selection or a non-natural selection? And the whole idea of natural and non-natural is interesting because somebody could say, I made the hydrogen bomb, so it's natural because I'm natural. But I would argue that that sort of thing wouldn't evolve under normal circumstances because of resource use. And maybe, maybe the big technological advance umbrella that I'll discuss for the next re- remainder of this episode is resource use. You know, And I mentioned uh, Garrett Hardin's paper, The Tragedy of the Commons, maybe a little over 50 years old now, that describes how when white people from Europe came to America, and this is not the first time it happened, but he's just describing this part of history. When we looked at the Chesapeake Bay, we thought, there's so much food here that we cannot exhaust. It's an inexhaustible resource, and it's a common resource available to all people. So that was a mistake number one. Now, we didn't realize that when we were just sort of picking up oysters with our hands or catching fish, maybe with a net, but with human power, no machines, we didn't really think about these giant boats that would one day drag nets the size of football fields from the surface to the bottom of the water and catch everything in it. You know, we didn't realize that technology uh, and sort of tools would would enable us to have a non-natural capacity for resource use, right? If you think about sort of what people did for 249,000, you know, 900 and or 700 years versus the last 300 years, dramatic shifts in our capacity to use resources. We could cut down wood faster. We could remove food, fish from the, we could use this, you know, destroy the soil faster with things like building houses, overpopulation, intelligence, technology, bad or good thing, whatever. That and sort of healthcare has, which I described, increasing our lifespans and increasing um, our population size, have sort of co-opted one another to alter homeostasis between our species population success year in and year out through time and the planet. It's really that simple. You know, I talk about, I wrote an article on Medium and I've talked about, I think I posted on the blog about carrying capacity, the idea that there's enough resources on the planet to support a pretty huge population size, probably maybe even bigger than what we have now. We don't really know. I'm really shocked that those papers don't exist. Uh, but I did just hear someone on a podcast recently, I wish I could remember their name, that made a very effective argument and has written a book that says, there's actually plenty of food on the planet to feed everybody right now. There's plenty of wealth for everybody, all close to 8 billion people of us right now. The problem is the way it's distributed. Okay. The, the point is, at some point, you know, where there's going to be too many people on the planet. But until we reach that point, and that's going to be disastrous because ecology has a way of, of, um, of taking care of that with famine and death and disease and things like that. And, you know, I kind of wondered if COVID wasn't that. I'm going all over the place here. Uh, the idea is that whether or not we've reached carrying capacity on the planet right now, we, are due, we, have, ex- we have pushed the homeostasis in, in a different direction. Those oppositional forces I was talking about that keep us in a homeostasis, we've artificially 
I would argue, non-naturally manipulated one of those things so it's pushing strongly and it has no equivalent oppositional force. Our appetite for wood, technology, uh, carbon, uh, lithium, uh, gas, fuel, other people's money has been artificially increased so much that there's no oppositional force for it. And what's that doing? It's pushing us out of homeostasis. And what happens when you're out of balance and out of equilibrium, everything goes to hell, right? And so if it happens in a person, let's say your temperature gets too high uh, in the like 106, 107 degree range, your body system starts shutting down. Let's say you don't eat uh, for a couple of weeks. Your body starts to digest itself. You, you know, One way or another, the universe, the world, the, the the sort of the environment in which our population lives is going to try to oppose that force. You know, it's like we just didn't consider needing to balance our newfound use and need for fossil fuels, not even like 150 years ago, with whatever the repercussions might be. You know, you can't rip carbon in whatever form out of the earth at some ridiculous ridiculous pace going from zero to you know a million in a, just a couple hundred years is 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 a drastic punch <laughs> to homeostasis and then with no real oppositional force me- meaning some you know scrubber in the atmosphere to take care of the met- the methane and the carbon co2 that would be released the damage that's done to the earth they're, they're, you know it it pushes everything out of homeostasis you think about you know not understanding Let's take it out out of like today's language into something that we you know we don't really politicize anymore. We used to poop in the streams, which worked great when there were like not very many of us, and the poop just washed away. And the bacteria naturally occurring in those systems because they were crazy healthy, you know, like in a healthy person, a cold virus comes in and your body goes, no way, I'm not, you can't get me. And you don't catch the cold and you just dispel the virus. In a, a, a system that's sort of uh, maybe tired or hungry, you, you get the cold virus and it takes over your body and it does what it does. Same thing with like a stream. A healthy stream could handle a little human poop. It handles a whole bunch of wildlife poop, doesn't it? Um, but then the poop got too much. It overwhelms the system. It pushes. You know, it's a it's one force without an oppositional force pushing it out. No, don't poop in here anymore. Uh, and so that stream falls out of homeostasis. It loses its capacity to perform whatever functions that it had, and that's the problem. Homeostasis. You know, I envision it as again a line. Maybe it's a flat line. I don't know. It doesn't matter the direction. With sort of some conditions that waver around that line, right? I mean, and so it it then becomes more like a tube. <laughs> it just sort of represents whatever it is that you that that you want to talk about, and it stays fairly uniform through time, and it doesn't take any kind of drastic changes uh, in direction or magnitude or, or whatever. When when you whack that out of out of its well and, and in so inside of that are all these individual functions. It's mitochondria producing energy, uh, it's vacuoles uh, um, absorbing and releasing water, it's stomata open and closing and allowing CO2 to come through. It's um it's it it all of those different things. It's at every different spatial scale across the whole scope of relevance from atoms to ecosystems in the, in the world and universe in which we live happen. And when you push that tube or you move the homeostatic um, sort of center point away from that position, its normal balanced equilibrium position, 
those systems start to crash. And we don't really see them all crashing. Maybe we, we don't really pay attention, but what happens is those accumulate. Maybe one system crashing, you can, there's redundancy, and, and the system looks like, the, look at, I feel, I feel good today, I still feel good. I don't realize there's cancer you know, eating my liver until it's, it's, it's too late. Uh, and so that, that gets us into this idea of cumulative stress, and I think that's where we are. And I can't do it eloquently, and it would take a book, but my point is that you could take something like the climate argument, the economy. Well, don't, don't you think economically there is a homeostasis? There was a homeostasis prior to maybe 4,000, 2,000 years ago in the onset of money. There was, an eco, there was an equilibrium condition where people worked, they put out effort into the world, and then they received the resources that they needed in return without having to do anything. Another podcast I listened to recently talked about how we used to be basically a gift economy. It wasn't a barter economy, like many people say. It was, you know, if you had things, you gave them away. If you killed a a, a deer, you came back to the village and shared it with everybody and you ate it and you had a party. And you knew that next time that happened, in doing that, you created this debt from your brothers and sisters, that the next time they would do it, and it just was the way it worked for, again, 12, 10,000 years. And then all of a sudden, money comes into it, and then it becomes, I need more, you need more. It's this hoarding thing, and and it's the homeostasis of giving and receiving is broken. And here we are, with income inequality up the butt, with people who can afford to play in space, the people that can't afford to eat. That's broken. That is not balance, nor is it equilibrium. And it goes against the system of home. It's non-homeostatic, whatever that means. It's heterostatic, which is against and opposing everything that's ever preceded it, uh, at least in the history of human homo sapiens, a couple hundred thousand years. If not biological life, if not physics, you can't just mess with that. You know, you can't fool Mother Nature or whatever they say. And so that's my soapbox about homeostasis and the idea that balance is a thing. And if, 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 if maybe you don't believe in balance, and, and I forgot to tell the story I've mentioned on the podcast before, a good friend of mine one time was like, balance is, is a dumb thing. If I like something, I'm going to do that and do that and do that and do that. Moderation is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If you like smoking weed, smoke weed all the time. If you like having sex, have sex all the time. If you like drinking beer, drink beer to you puke. Get up and do it again the next day. If you like working, go to work 80 hours a week. If you like money, hoard all the money. That's a, okay, legit. That's one thing you might want to do. My big thing is, well, what's been going on for the you know foreseeable past? That extreme hoarding or you know, pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing against some forces uh, in order to make something happen um, uh, that wouldn't naturally happen on its own? Mm, I, I don't think so. I think it's more of this equilibrium. You know, systems evolved like this. And so that is the natural state that I believe in. I'm going to say, yeah, if, if, you know, given a default, I'm going to probably look around and go, it seems like that seems to be the more common scene and uh, how does that apply to what I'm doing now? So it's it's a model, like I talked about in a previous episode, an estimate of the way I think reality works. And I think a key fundamental element of this is the idea of equilibrium. And um, 
What we can do as individuals is be aware of where this equilibrium equilibria are uh, and think about that in, 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 in the historic context of evolutionary time and remember that, okay, these things exist because they're good for a reason. Not saying that all evolutionary selected, natural selected features are good, or, and sometimes they become unuseful, um, like vestigial organs, like your appendix or our cossacks, you know, our tailbone. Um, sure, things can go wrong, but I, but I don't think as a principle, you know, that you see again and again and again and again and again, a pattern you see in nature, you, you know, if you're going to have faith in something, have faith in the idea that, you know, dendritic patterns like tree roots, tree branches, uh, our lung tissue, uh, our blood vessels, stream and river networks. You see that pattern again and again, you kind of go, all right, that looks, that that's legit. I'm behind that. And if I'm, then, then one day I'm walking down the road and somebody goes, hey, there's two choices you can make here. One's this, uh, you know, jagged, forky, weird, angular pattern, and one's this really nice dendritic thing going on. Which one of these two thing, things are going to work for you? Well, I'm going to go pick the dendritic one because it's something I see all the time in the world around me. Anyway, homeostasis, balance, equilibrium. I uh, hope you find that helpful and, uh, you know, give you something to think about. I'm Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This has been Episode 94, Homeostasis. Take it easy.